0: After a four week break, a missional break, we are returning to our series that we have called Not Ashamed, Not Ashamed of the Treasure of the Gospel. This is a sermon series, if you are new with us, that is taken from the book of Acts. And I think uh, Pastor Ollie would agree with me that uh, when you're preaching narrative, it's not an easy task. But we're going to return to this, and by the way, I'm also trying something different, not standing down here, I just choose to do this during the Lord's Supper, Uh, but if um, the screen doesn't follow the speaker, it's not the projectionist, it's because I have technology in my hand, and I'm an old guy, so it may not work, we're just going to try it, Uh, just don't look at Kaiman, it won't be his issue, It's, it's right here. Uh, I'm not sure if you picked up on this news a couple of weeks ago, but I, I tend to be a bit of a news addict, and so I read uh, multiple news papers online every day, multiple times, just in case the story has changed. So I don't know if you heard this story, uh, but it is a story, obviously, of the circus, Barnum and Bailey's circus for 146 years, build itself as the greatest show on earth. They could do this because 146 years ago, there was no YouTube. They were the greatest show on earth. They were this massive traveling circus, captivating crowds in every small town in big city in America. I don't know that they ever came to Canada. I know I didn't see them, but they were a big deal south of the border. Uh, Exotic animals, you know, were put on display and taught to perform like, you know, household pets. Acrobats were performing death-defying acts. Even had a freak show where people like me were on display because normal people had never seen anything quite like it. (laughs) Barnum and Bailey Circus Was the greatest show on earth. It was so big that in America, you know, people would even wait along the railroad tracks just to watch the train go by. A two kilometer long train. You can't see it, can you? Because it's so dark in here or so bright. Oh, you can kind of see it. Can you see the people standing out there? That was entertainment apparently in the 40s, 50s, 60s because people didn't have stuff to watch on TV. They, they couldn't just Google it and see wild animals attack. They couldn't find that video. So they would wait for the train to go by. Those who couldn't afford to go to the town, buy a ticket, they would just watch the train go by. Yeah, that's how desperate people were for entertainment back then. Barnum & Bailey Circus was the greatest show on earth. Until it wasn't. And two weeks ago in New York City, they had their last performance 400 circus performers were suddenly out of work. They rolled up the tents, didn't put them up again. Now, now, if you're a, fo- if you're a circus performer, I mean, jobs are not easy to come by. Because if your only skill set is being shot out of a cannon, that's a fairly narrow skill set right there. there. There's not many offices looking for that. Right? So, so this is really a devastating thing for 400 people simply because we have access to 24-hour-7 entertainment that's so much better than the greater show on earth. That, that's why I've entitled this message, The Greater Show on Earth. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in Acts chapter 8. This is, I'm just going to confess, this is a difficult passage to deal with, it's probably easier to preach than it is to receive. Acts chapter eight, and I'm going to read just to get the whole picture, all of the verses nine through twenty-five. But let me just bring us up to speed. You'll recall if you were with us um, a month ago that by this time in the life of the very early church, they were not yet calling themselves church. They they were pushed out of the temple. Remember, they originally considered themselves to be Jews who had discovered the Messiah. Well, can, there. They, they had discovered the Messiah and were worshiping him in the temple just like Jews would. They were worshiping him with joy until they began to get pushed out of the center of the temple into the portico. That means the, out, the, the void deck. Because, you know, too much joy troubles religious people. And their worship was beginning to really trouble the religious leaders. And then we get to Acts 6, and Stephen, not a preacher, remember, he was a deacon. He starts preaching and became the first martyr of the group of people who called themselves followers of Jesus. After that, a great persecution arose spearheaded by a young Pharisee named Saul. And the church in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 was suddenly scattered. And remember, this is an important point. All of the church was scattered except one group, the leaders. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. All the other believers scattered. And as they scattered, they carried something with them, a passion to share good news. They were not ashamed of the gospel. And one of these men who was scattered was named Philip. He went to Samaria and there he preached the gospel. And the last sermon we heard on this topic ends with, and so there was great joy in the city. Because they heard And received this good news. Because of that, there was great joy. And now we move on to verse 9. And verse 9 begins with a very important conjunction. That little word, but. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon. They were baptized, both men and women, verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for they had not yet or excuse me, he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray together. Father God, we have come to this passage Story of your work among your earliest followers, and we're struck by a man named Simon, the desires he had in his heart. And, and, And we are worried because sometimes even this pastor feels the same thing, even our leaders don't have perfect agendas, we don't have perfect ambitions, sometimes we forget we exist for your glory and for the gospel. So I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would remind us that you are still the Father who waits to receive your prodigal sons and daughters, who longs to embrace us, to fill us with joy, to allow your glory to pour out of us in a way that is contagious. Do this for your name's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me just begin with a bit of background in this story. I think it's important that we begin in these verses, 9 through 11. But there was a man, verse 9, named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great, Now, I don't know that there's any culture in the world that teaches us to study, to train, so that we might be mediocre. There's not many Singaporean mothers and fathers that are hoping that their children will one day grow up and be normal. Just be average. All of us are raised with the Spirit of Simon. We desire to be great in our office, great in our world, surely great in our family. That's why my brother and I fought all the time. There's huge difference in age. He's way older than me, 17 months, and we were always competing for the space in our parents' heart, for attention at the dinner table. Things got broken because we were just like this man, Simon. In church tradition... Simon of Samaria is known as Simon Magus, or Simon the Magician. Now, now it's the same title that the early church gave to those wise men who came with gifts from the east to worship the king born in Bethlehem. They were called Magi, which is the plural of Magus. And, And so we suddenly realize that in the ancient world, there's this uncomfortable intersect between the scientists and the common street magician. I, I, I mean, one amazed people at his ability to know the ancient elements of the earth and fire and water, who, who was able to know how to track stars and could follow them knowing something important was about to happen. That amazed people. But they had not yet in the ancient world figured out how to monetize information. So unless you served in the Persian king's court, there was a lot more money to be made as a magician in the streets and villages of Samaria. So the scientists learned how to combine different Elements and amaze people that they could create chemical reactions. And the, and the local street magician learned how to use smoke and mirrors to amaze people. Simon discovered that it is way more lucrative to use the things he knew in the streets of Samaria and make for himself a great name as a magician. But there was also this in verses 10 and 11. Oh, I forgot. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is. Called great, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. They didn't just call him a god, they called him the god who is great. He is the great god. See, this was the position that Simon enjoyed in society, in Samaria. He enjoyed the the position not of just a great guy, not, not just an amazing scientific magician. He enjoyed the position of a great deity, and that was, for him, intoxicating. He was the greatest show in Samaria until he was not. He had learned to captivate the crowds, and then good news came. Verses 12 and 13 says, But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed good news about the Kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So Simon, the greatest power in Samaria, met Jesus, the greatest power in the universe. And Simon, who had been the greatest show on earth, suddenly wasn't. The man who amazed was amazed himself. And, and this word that's translated us for us, amazed, it's, it's a fascinating word. It, it basically it means astonished. But in the Greek language, it can be used in a context for astonishment, as in wow, and confusion. In other words, it's used in reference to somebody who knows stuff and then encounters something that is beyond the stuff that he knows. Like, I, I knew that stuff, but then there's stuff I don't know that. Whoa, it's the word that goes, whoa, how did he do that? Like, America's got talent when that Asian magician makes quarters appear and then rose petals. And you see the judges are going, whoa, what, how did he do that? That's that word. It's maze. I mean, we know stuff, but, but when God does his stuff, it overcomes the stuff we know. And, and we're like, whoa, uh, uh, whoa, that is beyond my educational level. That That is beyond... The laws of the universe as I know them. Because here's the thing. The one who made the universe can do whatever he wants. He's not limited even to the laws of gravity. The one who established gravity to hold the universe in place can do what he wants. And this is what amazed Simon. He was amazed. He was Confused. Now GBC, I just wanna I just want to share this. This is this is free. Not a part of the sermon. Tell me where to stand. I want to be honest with you. I want to be amazed. I, I mean I want to see God move in such a way that it cannot be explained by the giftedness of a pastor. I I would love to see God doing something in and through GBC that cannot be explained by a a talented ministry team. I, I know how churches grow. I've studied it. I've taught it. But oh God... Who needs a strategy for church growth? You think Philip had a strategy for growing the church in Samaria? No, he didn't. He had a strategy to share good news. Not on purpose. He couldn't help himself. He he had been absolutely transformed. I want all the clever Simons in Singapore to look at GBC and go, Whoa, how, how did that happen? Because they don't have the best speaker. They they don't have the best music. They don't have the best strategy. Whoa, how did that happen? And we could say, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Simon was full of wonder. Because the tricks that he could do were nothing like he saw. But... Here's something else, and this, this is why it's getting even more difficult. Simon also demonstrates, Simon proves that baptism cannot save, does not save. He is biblical evidence of someone who came to this show, got caught up in religious wonder, decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, but the core of who he was remained unchanged. Even after his baptism, he wasn't satisfied being a spark if he could be the sun. He he still Wanted to be that guy that everyone said, that is the that is God who is called great. Here he was, a follower, immersed. Right, no, you can't say Baptist, oh, he was probably sprinkled. No, the word is immersed. He was immersed, right? And yet was unchanged. We'll get back to that later. Second We see how the transformation comes in verses 14 through 17. The transformation. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, remember, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, everyone else scattered, they sent two apostles, Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, meaning the Spirit of the Most High God, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus only." They then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Passive. They didn't do anything to receive the Holy Spirit except they were there. So today, I get it. Governments can press a button and cause great harm in the world. But in the ancient world, harm came through the laying on of hands. If someone laid hands on you, that meant you were captured, beaten, or, or even worse. And even the Bible, are, there's plenty of examples of how people laid hands on someone, and the result was great harm came to them. In fact, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 22, Reuben tries to keep his brothers from killing Joseph. And so he says in verse 22 Throw him in the pit. Am, am I still on? I feel like I'm shouting. Can you hear me all right? Maybe I just don't need to shout. Joe was saying, yeah, don't, don't shout. <laughs> Obviously, if they're going to throw him in the pit, they're laying hands on him. So, so when he says to his brothers, lay no hand on him, he's not saying, don't lay a hand on him. He's saying, don't kill your brother. Don't, don't shed his blood. Throw him in the pit, but you're angry. Don't lay hands on them. Don't kill him. In Exodus chapter 7, God says, I will lay my hand upon Egypt, and it's not good for Egypt. For they have hardened their hearts against my servants, and I will vindicate my name by laying my hands on them and bringing a curse against their gods. It was not awesome when God lays his hands on a nation. Leviticus, Leviticus, sorry, chapter 16, Aaron is commanded to lay both his hands on the head of a goat. In, In verse 29, all the sins of God's people are transferred on the head of that goat. And that goat is taken out into the wilderness and left there to be slaughtered. This is where we get our term scapegoat. Goat, sorry, scapegoat a scapegoat is someone who has been chosen to take the fall for everybody else. That goat was chosen to be weighed down by the sins of the people, put both hands on the goat's head, take it out into the wilderness, it will die there. But just as harm came through the laying on of hands, blessing also came through the laying on of hands. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 17, the old man named Israel finally discovers his long-lost son Joseph, now a leader in Egypt, and he comes and lays both of his hands upon Joseph's children and blesses them. Because in the ancient world, both harm And blessing came through the laying on of hands. In Mark chapter 10, do you remember all these mothers bring their children to Jesus? They want them just to get close to him. And then in verse 16, Jesus takes them in his arms, blessed them, and laid his hands on them. In fact, do you know even in Taiwan, the tradition of Baptist churches there is at the end of the service, when the pastor does the benediction, he walks all the way to the back of the aisle. People stand, and they draw closer together. The pastor spreads out his hands, proclaims the blessing upon God's people, and then when he says amen, before the service ends, before people sit down, they turn one to another, pass a blessing, (inaudible) 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 and they spread it through the entire body, because they believe, Blessing happens through the laying on of hands. And this is what happened in that transition period while people were learning how to discover, how to follow Jesus. They did everything they knew and yet had not received the Holy Spirit. What does this tell you? It it tells you that not just Simon, but every Samaritan was trying to follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Until the apostles Paul came and they prayed over them and laid hands and, and said, Father God, fall on these people. They were not Christians as we know them until the Holy Spirit came in. That's why you will hear me say all the time, I love the fact that Singapore is 20% Christian. But if you want to reach the 80%, you've got to disciple them into faith. Because they don't have well-seated hearts. Remember these Samaritans? They had been seated with the gospel by a woman everyone knew. Remember that woman? She had so many husbands. The guy she was living with wasn't even her husband. And then she met this Jesus. Their hearts we ready for the gospel. Even then, salvation for them was a process. But then, once they were transformed, there came exposure. Verses 18 through 24. Uh, let me first start with verses 18 and 19. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, So that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now now notice that. Did you notice? As soon as Simon saw it, he wanted it. But what was it for Simon? It, It wasn't as soon as Simon saw him, he wanted him. What he wanted was not him, but it. Not, not the blessing of God's Spirit filling up every corner of his empty soul. What he wanted was the power to crack open darkness and pour light in. What he wanted was the authority to go to people and say, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. That was his sin. He remained unchanged. He was still that malignant soul of a man. Longing not to follow God, but to be God. And in this process, this man exposed the fact that he wanted his old title back. He wasn't so good about being not so great show. He wanted to be the greatest show in Samaria again. And he had the money He offered to pay for it. But Peter said to him, verses 20 through 24, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this Matter That means it's possible to say all the prayers, to listen to all the teaching, to be baptized and still have no part in this matter, the blessing and fullness of God. Your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you have said may come upon. Do you see the pattern?" because I see it all the time, usually on American television, is singers or Hollywood movie stars who thank Jesus and live however they want to. They're they're called Christian singers, Christian hyphenated singers and Christian hyphenated movie stars. And, And so we believe it's possible to be a Christian slash mechanic. In other words, you're just a Christianized version of what you always were but haven't been truly transformed. Because you cannot come to Christ. You cannot follow him unless you turn toward him. Repent. We, we have this phony form of religion where it somehow seems to be possible to remain as you were without repentance. And, and, and still what give glory to God. Our hearts are exposed because nothing is possible in the Christian life without transformation. And transformation is something that happens to me. It's not something that my religious activity makes happen. You can't say, I love the fact that ours is a, personal God the other religions they don't have a personal God but we have a personal God and then act as if he personally doesn't have to respond to us and the thing the almighty holy God responds to is Ian's repentance he doesn't come to me because I have an ambition to be a good preacher He doesn't come to me because I desire to be somebody in the Christian community. He comes to me because I fall on my knees and say, Oh Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my phony righteousness. Forgive me for desiring to be the God who loved me, came for me, died because of me. Was my scapegoat. Forgive me. Here's the outcome. In verse 25, after that difficult encounter, we're left with the realization that Simon wasn't willing to pray. He asked Peter to pray for him. He wasn't willing to pray Because he wasn't wanting to repent. What must that do to a new church? Here's the outcome. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they, meaning Peter and John, returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So first the outcome for the believers was... Nothing changed. They, they weren't suddenly struck with despair. Ooh, how could we lose such a significant citizen of this province like Simon? We we have no indication that Philip wasted time defending himself for baptizing somebody who wasn't really a believer. Listen, Philip, why would you do that? Why would you rush into that? They didn't suddenly say, hey, let's start having a baptismal class to prove these people are believers before we baptize them. They just kept on living every breath the gospel. Now, I want to say that there are lessons for us because lots of trouble happens, right? We encounter difficulty in our personal life. We encounter difficulty corporately as God's people. And it's very easy to allow those difficulties to become distractions. Distractions. And before we know it, we have created systems to deal with all of the distractions in our world and we've lost momentum, have no traction or energy for the gospel. Because we're dealing with our trouble. Well, there's a second outcome. So the first outcome is for the believers, nothing changed. The second outcome is, you know, For Simon, nothing changed. He was still the same man of flesh, still consumed with the same malignant ambition to be the God who made him. And not even this could get the early believers off track. I mean, if this story was happening in the 21st century, I'm not talking about Singaporeans. Let's say Canada. We would have a committee. We would, we would form a committee and say, hey, what, what about that back door, Pastor Philip? Oh, no, you're not really a pastor. You haven't been a seminary. You're just a deacon. Um, maybe that's why you made the mistake baptize baptized this guy. I wasn't really qualified to be baptized. We would form a committee, launch an initiative to close that back door, but not this early church, not the New Testament church. They moved on trusting God for their future and for Simon's future. Now, why does this story matter? Because this isn't the first time I, I bumped into something in God's Word and I've, I've asked myself, like, really, why does it matter? Can I talk about how much I, I love minor birds just for a moment? I know you grew up with minas, so you, they're not special to you, but they're special to anybody from Canada. We don't have minas. You know, you can teach them to talk. And um, I can also teach them to come to my office every single day. Now, um, we might have to edit this out because I'm pretty sure it's illegal to feed the birds. But uh, I'm not talking about the church office, just so, so, bay, you can relax. I'm not talking about the church office. I'm talking about my other office, McDonald's. This was orientation Pastor Arnold gave me. <laughs> I go to McDonald's, not really for breakfast, honestly, but for free flow coffee. It's, it's my morning pharmacy. Every morning, I need to be there at 6 o'clock because that's when they open, and I need to be the first customer because if I'm not, I get headaches. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I'm just confessing. I didn't mean to. It wasn't in my notes. So I, I get there every morning at 6 o'clock, and just as it's starting to get light, like crack of dawn, I hear their first song, and there they are, worshiping me. Yeah, they're singing songs I'm imagining. They're singing, Ian is so awesome. Why? Because I pull off parts of my Egg McMuffin, and I, and I throw it to them. And we have like a worship service right me feeding them the bread of life they're singing and here's the disappointment I keep feeding them this Angmo breakfast but it doesn't transform them into an Angmo they eat the Angmo food and then they hop and fly off Just like they were. Because I'm not God. So, I feed them every morning. They sing pretty songs every morning. They eat the food I give them. Then they hop off looking for the next meal. They fly away looking for the next person who will give them something to eat. They're just like Simon. Next time you see a mina, just go ahead and call them by their name, Simon Bird. Simon the magician saw bread he couldn't fix. He came for some, and then he left unchanged. Do you know, according to Christian tradition, Simon the magician continued to try and be the greatest show on earth. In fact, according to early church fathers, Simon became a leading heretic in the early church. Justin Martyr, who died in A.D. 165, was himself a son of Samaria, and he wrote... Every one of my countrymen considered the great Simon to be a god. Another early church father, Iranius, wrote in A.D. 180 that the early church considered this man Simon to be the father of the cult of Gnosticism. In fact, he pursued Peter all the way back to Jerusalem constantly challenging him in battles of power. He followed him all the way to Rome. Doing these great demonstrations of power. Commanding the Roman centurions to dig a hole in the Colosseum and bury him there for three days to show that he can rise again because he was a spark off of the sun living evidence of God in the world. And according to church tradition, he died there in Rome when he fell demonstrating his powers of levitation. Friend, Simon, he made a decision for Christ, but he was not transformed by the very gospel he wanted to teach. Do you understand why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians that I put my flesh under submission so that after preaching the gospel, I myself am not disqualified. It is not about the man. It's about the God who fills him. It's not about my skill sets. It's not about the talents that I bring to the ministry table. It's about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of the Almighty. We can study our Bible, but without transformation, listen, without transformation, the Christian life is impossible. Without transformation, you will read the Bible again and again and not have the spirit of revelation and so not understand it. Without transformation, we will pray but not know what to pray for. So so don't be quoting to me John 15, 7. I can ask whatever I wish and it will be granted unless you're living John 15, 6, which says, abide in me and I abide in you. He who does not remain in me will be cut off and live the life of a glorious magician. I can make a decision for Christ, but only Christ transforms. When we come for anything else but him, we are at risk at leaving with nothing he gives. But if I would come for him, for Christ alone, for his righteousness, all of these things are added unto me. Here's the good news there is absolutely no reason. Here, listen to me. Even. If you're a little bit defensive right now, even if you're thinking, okay, I'm one of those smart Singapore Simons, here's good news for you. There is absolutely no reason for any of us to leave like Simon. Because he is that father who stands at the end of his road waiting for prodigal sons and daughters. He awaits, not so that he can beat you, but so that he can embrace you. He awaits, not so that he can school you, but so that by his spirit, he can transform you. You see, I'm trying to make Canadians out of a bird. All I do is take skinny birds and make them fat birds. And in the church today, metaphorically, we have a whole bunch of fat religious people trying to find their way, but at the end of the day, exhausted because we're nothing but impotent, religious, shallow versions of what God desires us to be. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, our musicians are going to come up. But I want to invite you to do something. I I don't have any better word than the word Peter had for Simon. Repent. Ah, don't think I'm asking you to do this for the first time. because if this is relationship if you have gone one whole day without repenting your relationship with this god is not what he desires it to be because in my life this pastor every single day This man who is prone to wander has to turn again to the lover of my soul. This man needs to again face him and say, oh God, I'm sorry. Less of me, not more of you, but all of you. So if you're here this afternoon and you have felt even the slight resentment of an educated Simon, this is your moment to turn afresh to him and say, Lord, this child, this wandering child is coming home because I'd rather have you than a PhD. I'd rather have you than that great job. I'd rather have you than silver or gold. And, and maybe there's someone here this afternoon and I don't know, maybe you just wandered in, maybe a Christian friend said, hey, come, come with me, and you, and you did. And this is fresh information for you maybe you've been in church before but like my father grew up in church and never heard the gospel that there is a God who left glory came to earth and lived a perfect life died on that cross not because he had to in payment for his sins because he longed to. In payment for sheep without a shepherd, beaten and harassed, and so redeeming them, all those who would hear his whisper can respond with this word Yes, God. I turn from my ways and I turn to you. Fill me so that I might be transformed, not into a better version of what I used to be, but transform me. Make me a new creation full of all that you are, naturally producing fruit that only by your spirit can a man or a woman produce. Make love obvious in me. Joy and peace, make it obvious. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, stuff I never got from my ancestors. Make your DNA obvious in this person of flesh. Father God, I thank you that before the beginning of what we know as time, you were already living and active. We thank you that you are a God who pursues us. And now you find us in this place. Father God, don't let us leave like Simon. But equip us with hearts that long after you. Give us the gift of genuine repentance And may your spirit, all of who you are, saturate this, your people. We don't long to be great, but we long for your name to be great in our lives, in this church, in this nation, and in your world. So we invite you to move in us so that the nations would know That you are the Lord and worthy of all glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me as we prepare to close our service?